This talk was given at the Monastic Conference on the Environment, Gethsemane 3. It was given by Father Hugh Feiss. The title of his talk, Bad Practices Hidden or Justified by Ideology. Ordinarily, I'd have a brilliant PowerPoint presentation, but Father Charles scared me so much that I even wrote out my speech by hand. I was afraid to touch a computer and lose my simplicity. But uh, So uh, th- there's the PowerPoint. Uh, uh, I'm to speak about the way in which monastics justify environmentally irresponsible behavior. That's what I understood the topic. And I can do that only as a Benedictine. Um, I, I have only limited acquaintance with Cistercian monasteries and almost no involvement with Buddhist monasteries, uh, though I have Buddhist friends. Um, so what I'm going to think we're doing here is exploring the environmental uh, or ecological shadow cast by the the obstructions in our hearts. Um, and uh, and in our lives uh, from which some of that shadow emerges. And I think as we do this, uh, we I could uh, steal briefly uh, Indra's net, and and you could which I never heard about until yesterday. But so I'm probably messing it all up. But think of each of us as a crystal pearl reflecting every other uh, person or being in the world in the world. And then you think about all the environmental blindness and uh, harmful activities of everybody. And each of us then uh, reflects the activities and the blindness of all the others. And in many instances, uh, I'm going to contend we're complicit in them. And you might just think about the food you serve the jam and the little plastic containers and the bananas and the styrofoam, uh, all of which uh, rise up to jacques Um Or the clothes we wear. Uh, St. Benedict talked about what could be bought cheaply in the neighborhood and given to the poor when you were done with it. And... Uh, uh, And then we have what we have. Uh, So in what I follow, I'm going to say we uh, throughout. Uh, And so it it encompasses all of us who feel complicit in the environmental sins of our society by the way we live who are monks. And Pat, perhaps you won't feel part of this we. uh, But if you do... uh, I think we can come in the end of this with a confession or at least a lament of how much uh, we need to change if we could in order to be at home in the world and how much we probably can't change and so how unfree and complicit we remain. As I say that, I, it sounds like an awful burden of Catholic guilt, whatever that is, <laughs> but... but uh, I feel it, so you might as well (laughs) share. I I hate to hog it all to myself. So uh, this is not a a cheerful talk, particularly. Um, 
But the cheerful part of it is, and, and which highlights the bad things, is that as as monks, uh, and at the end uh, I'll kind of speak more specifically of Christian monks, we have very deep affinities with environmental stewardship. Uh, we're committed to dispossession and self-discipline, uh, to asceticism. Uh, our profession is designed to nurture virtue, such as reverence and care, to ethics. Our way of life is ordered to an abiding sense of the divine presence and at one at onement with the divine. There's the mystical element of our lives. And so the purposes of our ways of life, ascetical, ethical, and mystical, or the the path that leads us to the final purposes of our life, uh, provides an impetus towards environmental living. And, uh, or better, we could say maybe the ethical and ascetical and mystical aspects of our life are three ways in which we become free in and for God, each other, and the world. Or again, we might say that there are three ways in which we become attuned with reality. And I think from those, that core of monastic practice or existence, we have a threefold service to render of worship and of compassionate care and of witness. More of my chart there. And so I think that the disciplines of our life fit us for sacramental worship making us reverent in the face of the, the natural world. Um, the simplicity and disciplines of our life enable us to serve the needs of others in a compassionate and selfless way. And the presence uh, <coughs> of such a community ought to provide witness to the primacy of God and the beauty deep down things. So the question is, what keeps us from being more environmentally responsible and more effective witnesses. So, uh, when I read ideological justifications for bad practice, uh, I, I assume they meant theological. And it would be nice to find that everything resolves to very high-minded but mistaken theological errors. But I'm afraid it doesn't. But let me try to find some low-minded theological errors, if nothing else. Um, and none of these are really specifically monastic, uh, though I've known monks, or at least a monk who has fallen for all of them, or one of them. Uh, the first of these is the world is going to end anyway. In fact, it seems to be, uh, the end seems to be imminent. So why worry about the Lahontan trout or the level of mercury in the reservoir or the amount of trash in the dumpster? We're all going to die anyway. The whole biosphere is teetering on the brink of extinction, so um, that's the, that might be called the eschatological fallacy. Uh, a, a second ideological error is the domination one. And in a crass form, uh, it is the world is ours to dominate and we can do with it what we want. The governor of Idaho might embrace that, but um, and in fact he does, but... Uh, uh, monks usually give that a little more subtle spin, I think, and, and that is, uh, we're the summit of creation, and uh, if they have to choose between them and us, they have to go. Uh, 
in a secular way, if cougars occasionally kill a human being, then we should exterminate all the cougars. Um, both of these domination models, the, the, the crude one and the rather anthropocentric one, um, assume the world was made for us. And uh, I think theologically one might ask, is it possible that the universe has some purpose other than us? Uh, a third ideological tool is moderation. Uh, the middle path in Buddhist terms and discretion in St. Benedict's terms. In her commentary on the rule of St. Benedict, St. Hildegard praises St. Benedict's uh, moderation and his discretion. And she illustrates it uh, by saying that he never, he put the bar neither too high nor too low. Uh, that's a somewhat ambiguous English statement, isn't The bar is neither too high nor too low. Well, hers was a lot like that. He said he put the spigot neither too high nor too low, but right in the middle of the barrel, um, which was a very wise thing to do so you don't hurt people's necks, but it also made it quite possible to overindulge. And that's the trouble with moderation. Uh, my moderation might be... Uh, as it was for some English monks in the late Middle Ages, 6,000 calories a day, according to some bone studies they've done recently. Uh, a fourth ideological illusion uh, comes from the idea of contemptus mundi that came up yesterday, thanks to Father James. I think it was you, somebody anyway. And um, uh, it's a phrase that occurs extremely often in medieval monastic writers, and it could be interpreted and sometimes was as as a disdain for uh, created beauty or pleasure or fear of it or try to escape from it. Uh, but um, it could also mean disdain for the greed which earthly things arouse in us, uh, somewhat maybe ineptly transferred to the things themselves. Um, and I want to come back to that in a second. The final theological, ideological deviation that can lead to bad practice, I think, is we're contemplatives. And so we shouldn't concern ourselves with the active life, with doing and think, uh, fixing and caring about practical things or earthly things. And, and that, that has a long history. It has so long a history, I think, we should have a, a fast from using the word contemplation and perhaps the word stewardship too. Uh, not forever, but till about 2,100. Uh, so, so much for the theological justifications. This is a somewhat uh, sad list, and, and maybe it's because I missed some real obvious ones, but you can help me with that. Uh, uh, l let me go back to the contemptus mundi. Um, we, um, I told you what the sort of the negative meaning of it is. The, there's another meaning to it, though, that one about not letting earthly things draw our desire in the wrong direction, uh, which is what I've always thought it meant for the most part. But um, the 
post-Vatican II monastic world has been world-affirming as opposed to the old kind of contemptus mundi. But perhaps we should discriminate a little between those two things, just not liking earthly things, period, or not letting them seduce us. And in this regard, I want you to think again about the, the young man who spent 18 quality seconds per day with his father, or all those young men. That same young man spends one hour a week in church, and, and maybe if his parents are fanatics, one hour a week in catechism. Um, and uh, he spends four or five hours a day with electronic media and, and countless hours more with his peers, the whole complex of which is saturated with the bacillus of affluenza. And, and so uh, we Christian monastics want to find a place create a place where uh, we can uh, live with our Heavenly Fathers and with people who share uh, our vision, Christian vision or Buddhist vision or whatever. But we can't avoid uh, the virus. We can't avoid exposure to it, but we can try to inoculate ourselves by immersing ourselves in alternative worldview and recognizing the difference. And that's the important thing. Somehow, got to recognize the difference. Now, what the billboard says and what the Bible says are not compatible. And at what point is that? And not, not to be seduced. It's not an easy thing. And I think there's the key issue. Of all the ideological things, it's that, that we allow ourselves to be permeated by an alien way of looking at things. Which is not to say that culture's bad or you can't go listen to I eat or something like that, but it does mean that a consumerist society is constantly providing us with an unreal world from our faith perspective. The second cultural trap is that of mistaking good attentions for actual internal and external change. I live near Sun Valley, and I was even on a committee there once on Western issues. And the people up there, like the people in Aspen and probably in the suburbs of Louisville and everywhere, are green. You know, they go to lectures on environmental troubles. They contribute to the Nature Conservancy. They buy organic eggs and milk, and they drive a Prius. And they make sure that there's no light and noise pollution in their suburbs or near their expensive homes, where they go to sleep with a sense of environmental righteousness while they leave an ecological footprint the size of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> and, and we can do something analogous. Uh, we, need, we need somehow to mean what we say and to acknowledge when we can't do what we say. And I think that's really important. Otherwise, nobody's going to pay a bit of attention to us. Authenticity is the thing, you know. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you follow it. That's the ethic of the world as we live in. A third, and, and you'll be happy to know, final uh, cultural trap is pragmatism. Um, monks are sometimes, at least Benedictine monks, are sometimes defensive about uh, uh, being impractical. Especially if you went to the monastery when you're 20. You know, hell, you can't know anything about anything. Uh, uh, you know, and so uh, the monks that come in later are particularly, cons- you know, later in life, 
This happened in the Middle Ages. It still happens, you know. But of course, nobody's coming in early young anymore, but some of us did. And they look at us and they say, well, um, you're just uh, idealistic incompetent. And we've got to get practical here. And, uh, and so many of uh, they can say, or we can say, these environmental proposals are, are lovely, but they're unrealistic. Um, um, you're on in touch, out of touch with the real world, or as we say in Idaho, you've fallen under the spell of New England liberals. <laughs> ConAgra one time sent a, sent a Catholic employee to uh, wise me up on that very subject. Uh, uh, one form of pragmatism is to invoke stewardship. Uh, uh, people have given us money, or we've earned it, and we need to be good stewards of it, which means invest it or spend it without reference to externalities. Do you know? Don't, I, you've never heard that? Well, I have. In other words, we have this capital, and it would be irresponsible not to spend it in an economically uh, beneficial way. And so we, we don't want to put it into, into something that, that is not cost-effective within a measurable time frame. So we can't afford to put up solar heating because it won't pay for itself within 20 years, or perhaps ever, from our point of view, from the strictly financial point of view. That's a terrible trap, and it's very easy to fall into, I think. Okay, so much for theology and culture. Um, if that wasn't enough, we also have uh, psychological issues. And with a, with a deep apology to Anna Freud, I want to just mention three uh, defense mechanisms that enable those things to work on us. And, and I think the first one is uh, denial. Uh, that's the way we, we uh, don't look at horrific and inconvenient truths uh, that help us live with with uh, our contradictions between our convictions and our claims and the compromises and the complicities that we have to go, uh, have to deal, uh, commit to or allow or whatever. I know a woman whose husband sells agricultural chemicals, and she told me with all seriousness that the science is inconclusive whether bovine growth hormones and regular use of low-level doses of antibiotics on dairy cattle is harmful. Well, if that science is inconclusive, all science is inconclusive. And, and, and we can do things like that, too. We can say, well, anthropogenic global warming isn't as bad as it, it's all, you know, trumped up to be. A, a second mechanism we can use is repression. Uh, we we kind of bury our responsibilities and the impact of our actions and our lifestyle. Or we say, well, you know, technology will uh, find a solution so we can go on as usual. Um, uh, a third, and uh, one, one problem there, too, one example of that is, uh, are we afraid of alienating our benefactors? Who gives money? Who has the money to give? It's often the people from Conagra. So if I get up and I tell them, or Monsanto, or whoever locally represents them, or the power company, 
the people that give us our grants and stuff, if if we if we're outspoken, what will happen? We'll starve. You know, uh, we might worry about that. Um, as you can tell, I've never been a superior and never will be, so I don't, I don't have to worry about that. Uh, a third and final uh, uh, psychological mechanism is projection. This works like this, and I, I've heard this lots of times. China is producing X million pounds of greenhouse gases per second or week or month or whatever. And so what possible difference it can make if we use a two-stroke lawnmower or if we drive to the mailbox or the post office instead of walking? How are you feeling? Do you feel bad enough now that I can? I, I, it's important that you feel bad enough before I uh, try to end this, which is what I'm going to do now, is end it. Um, but uh, uh, so I, I've tried to ponder ways in which we monks can avoid letting the ecological crisis uh, cast light on our lifestyles and maybe even call us to embrace uh, uh, more deeply the ethical and the ascetical and the mystical fabric of our lives through which we seek at one uh, with God and each other and the world. And, and let me end by pushing back beyond these kind of superficial ideologies to what I take to be the deep <coughs> choice that faces us. So... Uh, Option one, there are only two, I think. This is a quotation. Uh, even I could say this. It's something as negative as this. The world is will, but not divine or human will. It is not something with an intention, a direction, or aim, or a plan. It is just a blind, aimless, purposeless, all-powerful force on which everything depends, but which itself depends on nothing and no one. Thus, the whole world of phenomena is a constant, endless struggle of all against all, as each battles to survive at the cost of the rest of the world. Uh, that's the way uh, Lesik Kolvikowski sums up the philosophy of Schopenhauer. Um, and I wonder if, if the, the, the view implicit in much of, of uh, evolutionary biology today isn't very close to that. You just have to splice in a selfish gene, and I think you have Schopenhauer. Uh, the problem... And many of the people that embrace a view something like that are very concerned about the environmental issues. You know, some very outspoken biologists, for instance. The problem is there's no motivation there to, to do anything except self-interest. If we don't change, we'll kill ourselves, which... Parenthetically, Schopenhauer thought was a bad thing because it, it exterminated life rather than will. Uh, but uh, uh, it's here I think we can make a difference. And let me contrast that with a poem by Margaret Avison. Every living thing as a mass or a morsel or one who moves with the speed of light, each in his miracle of particularity, the Lord knows. And that, that is a deeply Christian point of view, at least. Every living thing as a mass or a morsel or one who moves with the speed of light, each in his capital H, his miracle of particularity, the Lord knows. 
And so I think what science and our religious traditions tell us is that everything in its God-given particularity is interconnected with everything else in the web or the net. And, and wisdom is to recognize at one moment, to become enlightened about that web, to recognize that we're part of a whole for which, to which and for which we're responsible. Um, we monks, I think, can contribute vision, motivation, practices uh, from our ethical, ascetical, and mystical uh, core identity. And if we do that, then I think we can turn to the world with reverence and care and to our fellow denizens in the world, our fellow sinners, the rest of the world, who, like us, are complicit in, in, in putting this world in jeopardy. Um, and I don't think we can really do this. We can really make a statement effectively if we don't in some way both acknowledge and lament our complicity. <laughs>